Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser. But did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign, matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Friday, Friday, Friday is our recording day today. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your... Loyal co-host Joel Cheeseman joined as always by my co-host Chad Sowash. And today, boy, we got no, 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 no. We got a treat today, guys. It's uh, Seth Fight. Did I say that right? Fight feet. I don't know. He's Group VP of Talent at Spectrum Slash Charter Communications. Seth, welcome to your worst nightmare. Great to be here, gentlemen. Oh, he's still here. Good. We didn't scare him away. So. So what do we need to know about you that I missed in the intro? Well, you did you did butcher the last name. Not a big deal. It's, Ooh, it's fight, fight, not feet. That's but I'll answer to that. Sexy. Yeah. Just here. Seth fights. 
I tell you what's also sexy, Seth. I want to hear about uh, I want to hear about the AOL time that you had. You were director of talent acquisition in '98 through 2000 at AOL. We're talking about dial up. I mean, tell us about that. How was that different than than your role today? We just lost about a third of our listeners. <laughs> Hey, I still have my AOL. I still have my AOL email address too, by the way. <laughs> Do you use AOL Instant Messenger as well? <laughs> no, no, not not AOL Instant Messenger, but still keep my keep my AOL email for the glory days. You still have the phone number that you use to dial in to AOL. That was a great run for me. I mean, AOL was an interesting time. I joined back in in '98. The company was was doing real well back then. I mean, it was gearing up to eventually buy Time Warner and. So I kind of lived through through that merger that, you know, was not the greatest merger of his, in the history of mergers, that's for sure. But, um, you know, AOL was an interesting time back then, really, you know, to some extent, the Internet on training wheels. We were getting everybody started on the Internet. AOL was early into search, early into commerce. You know, we were in Dulles, Virginia, not exactly a, a melting pot of where everybody wants to go work for technology, but we were we were making the most of it back then. AOL was a very creative, great, fun place to work. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We wound up, you know, the company, I, mean, I shouldn't say we, I was a senior manager, director level, kind of promoted in the time I was there. Uh-huh. But we bought, we bought Time Warner and that merger eventually wound up closing. And I moved over to the Time Warner entity, you know, later moved over to the cable side of the business. Cable business got bought. I mean, I've been at a version of this company. I really never left AOL. I'm 22 and a half years now at a version of this company. So, you know, Charter Communications bought Time Warner Cable, and that's how I'm a part of now this Spectrum brand and, and the Charter company. So it's been a wild ride. Seth, can you paint a picture for the kids of what internet recruiting looked like in 1998? Yeah, I mean, since we were since we were the internet, we were certainly <laughs> using it a lot, right? We were yeah. the way people were getting on. We had we had partnerships with uh, some of the fellow dinosaurs, maybe like the monster.com of the oh, world. Yeah. They, were, they were an early partner of of AOLs and that keyword was monster. Absolutely. That was, we, we partnered closely <laughs> with them. It definitely, we benefited from the, from the company partnership with monster at the time. Cause we were of course using it for that, you know, that online career center, original start for monster that, that we, we had used that in my college recruiting days and my previous employer before I ever got to AOL. And I was thrilled that AOL had a partnership with monster. I mean, we were, we were out there trying to find technology people that wanted to tinker on this new thing called the internet. And uh, you know, I was in a programmatic type of role. The AOL was kind of split up between some business units. I was what was considered the corporate group. I oversaw recruitment technology, college recruiting kind of stuff. So I, I dabbled in a, in a few of those type of things, did some MBA recruiting. Um, but it was it was definitely early days of internet. You know, and unfortunately, really what happened with AOL, if they maybe had made, made more investments in the in the search and commerce side, maybe it would still be a bigger, better company than it is today. But the, the folks that all work there, we have a strong bond together. We we stay in touch. There's people that I that I worked with 20, 22 years ago that that we still stay in touch to this day. And it was uh, definitely a great experience. The cult of AOL. I remember in 1999, we had an all hands meeting in Indianapolis at Monster. The big unveil was we just landed keyword Monster. It, that was a big thing in those days. 
Yeah. Why would you not want the keyword jobs? Or was that already taken? That uh, seems... No, it wasn't. It was all about the brand. <laughs> that was it. You forget who Jeff Taylor was, right? Uh, <laughs> he didn't care about jobs. He just wanted he wanted <laughs> the monster, right? But uh, so so talk about talk about your role today as group VP of talent. That's that's a pretty big all encompassing role, right? Yeah, in, in a lot of ways it is. It's a it's a it's a broad responsibility, but we have a very uh, distributed type of HR and recruiting and training type of model. So although I oversee sort of the strategic direction of where we go with our recruitment and, and learning, training, leadership development, org effectiveness, performance management, so a lot of big picture things fall under me from an overall leadership standpoint, but a majority of those real functional responsibilities of getting that work done, the actual recruiting, actual training, you know, 95% plus sits in the business unit. So I sort of gather the, we, we have councils that we've set up for the talent acquisition side and the learning side. So myself and my team, we get those groups together. We used to do in person on a quarterly basis in, in a COVID world. We do more, you know, monthly WebEx kind of setups and, um, you know, we try to drive on this mission to attract, acquire, develop, and retain talent for the company, monitoring what's going on out there, making sure from a recruiting standpoint and a learning standpoint that our recruiting community and our learning community have the tools to be successful. And, you know, I'm fortunate that the company is doing well. We invest in those products. We're, we're five years post-merger now with, with Charter buying Time Warner Cable and Bright House Networks. And, you know, the company uh, from, a, from a recruiting and transformation kind of standpoint has really started coming together. And the pandemic has been a spotlight for that. We had to really come together with that. And, you know, the, the talent function is trying to do the best we can to make sure we've got the best talent in our company. What's sort of your general take on minimum wage, the state of minimum wage in our country today? Well, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot going on with the Biden administration and they're, they're looking at you know, some things from a federal standpoint. Uh, we'll have to see where that where that goes. I think from a company standpoint, you know, we eighty percent of our roles are probably considered frontline in nature. It's uh, we're a, we're a cable operations company, so it's those technicians that are going into customers' homes, the maintenance techs that that maintain the network in the plant, the call center reps that are handling either either billing calls or technical calls. We we have a huge sales organization. Um, then we have a bunch of business units that are aligned as well around some of our you know we have an advertising business and a and a fiber B two B kind of business. But you know so the minimum wage thing for us like we knew we had to work on our you know eleven twelve bucks an hour is not going to cut it in in New York City. Um, it's not going to cut it in Columbia South Carolina either. So you know we we knew as a company we had to invest. Fortunately, our our senior leadership at Charter. Um, they really wanted charter employees to do a lot of things. So we, we didn't, Time Warner Cable had a decent amount of, of outsourced, you know, contractor for, for, for field operations installations, maybe some more call centers would have been outsourced than, than not compared to what charter had done. And so charter came in post acquisition and really wanted to bring those jobs, you know, to the company and certainly onshore. Um, and so as a part of that evolution, as a company, we were just looking at what, what our wage practices are. And we had decided a few years back that we were going to go with this $15 an hour minimum. And it was, you know, even at that time, we thought pretty progressive. And it, we had some challenges internally around some salary compression and those kind of things. And it took us a better part of a year, year and a half to iron those out. What, what year was that, Seth? Was that like 2016 or? Yeah, yeah. 2016, 17, I guess, probably okay. more 17, don't know exactly, but sometime around then. 
probably we announced it in 17, had it fully implemented in 18. Um, we're always looking at it. It had always been on the radar, but then when the pandemic hit, you know, rather than, you know, throw $500 or $1,000 at each employee, and some companies did that, and I'm sure employees appreciated that, we wanted to make a bigger long-term investment. And so we had this long-term vision of going to $20 an hour. So we figured this is the right time to announce that we're going to go to $18 an hour. So that's what we we announced that last year. We just implemented it earlier this year. And so now we're at 18 an hour. Next year, we're going to be at $20 an hour minimum for, for these frontline roles. We believe it's going to be a, an eventual competitive advantage for us. And we'll, we'll keep. And you, and you hire people all over, all over the country, I assume. We do. Yeah. We're 95,000 employees. We're in 41 states. Um, we have call centers in just about each of those 41 states. It might be like 39. So it, it might not be every single one of the states we service, but in most states, we have multiple centers. We've got, we've got different types of call centers. And, and you know, the, these frontline areas, it's primarily that field technician. So my question is, so obviously 18 an hour in, uh, you know, Bessemer, Alabama is not the same as $18 in, uh, you know, New York City. Is yep. 18 18 slash 20, just the floor and people in those higher level markets, higher tier markets, they get paid even more. How does that work? Well, I mean, it's all a little new to us as well as we launch this. I mean, certainly there's markets like New York City and, and LA that we service that are higher cost of labor, higher, higher cost of living areas in some of our you know smaller markets. But it's really a baseline for us to start. Um, there's, there's not a ton of differentiation right now at, at at those levels, we're trying to get people to that 18 and then next year, the $20. And, you know, depending on the location, there's there's going to be some some variations of that. Of course, we have progression type of plans, like a call center rep starts off as a CSR, a customer service rep one, and then works their way through a progression to a, to a two and a three. And there's, you know, more salary and, and hourly rate, you know, availability on those. But, you know, as of now, we're still kind of early stages on a lot of this and getting to that you know, aspirational $20 next year. So we're, we're still kind of a wait and see for us. So are your customer service rep positions, are those, are they currently, I would assume they're virtual, are they going to stay that way? How, how do those positions work? Because that's that's an entirely different conversation if you're talking remote yeah, sure. versus somebody who actually has to be local because they're servicing cable, right? Yeah. Well, what's interesting, you know, probably, what, 13 months ago, mm-hmm. we were taking almost zero calls from home as a company. We just did not have any at-home reps. I mean, we have a culture of our company of, you know, those retail store reps that have to go to a store, the the technicians that go to the customer's homes. I mean, we generally, you know, culturally like people, want people in the office, working together, collaborating, that kind of thing. It, it had been the plan, you know, as we brought jobs offshore and in and internal to the company, we wanted to have people together. That's, that's sort of a company desire, kind of a cultural plan for the org. So obviously pandemic hits, we didn't even know half the things we were trying to figure out at the time, the, the social distancing, the face coverings, the, the personal protective equipment. I mean, we were scrambling like every other company, but we had to quickly shift to allow those work from home. And it was not, you know, that, that call center rep doesn't have a laptop. It's not as easy for them to just, okay, I'm going to work from home today. They had to literally take their CPU units home and their headsets, which as we know earlier, when we were testing my mic, I don't have, um, <laughs> We invest in the reps on those guys, not not me. Um, but, you know, so it, it was a huge transition to get social distancing in our offices, get provide PPE, you know, get some percentage of our of our calls 
from home. So we, we were able to spread out in our call centers. But, you know, for the most part, we never shut down a call center, any of our offices, and we are still taking calls from office. We have a bit of a hybrid right now. We were at our peak. It was probably maybe 25, 35 uh, percent. We're in an office, you know, um, we're, we're in a call center and with the, the other balance being from home. And, and we're starting to shift that a little more the other way as we get a little more comfortable with our social distancing. We're getting you know, people are getting vaccinated. We're still following CDC guidelines and mm-hmm. have these strict requirements of, you know, face coverings when walking around in the public areas, that kind of thing. We, we try to use all those guidance that we have out there. So it's, it's interesting. We are, we're still in an office and planning on getting more and more people back in the office. So, so the big thing now is vaccine requirements. Where are you guys, where are you guys landing on that one? Yeah, certainly a great topic internally that's been highly debated at the highest levels of the company and where we've landed is we're not requiring but encouraging and doing everything we can to educate people are you incentivizing am i getting a 25 dollars certificate gift gift card to target chipotle i love chipotle no no not not those kind of incentives other just education as best we can and as you guys know every state's been a little different even counties are different with how they're even offering to get to offer the vaccination. I mean, since we were this essential business from the beginning, you know, we're not, I'm not claiming we're frontline, you know, doctors or maybe even the supermarket kind of people, but we are, you know, keeping your internet on while everyone's working from home is pretty important. Yeah, no, that's essential. I mean, that's business. That's essential. So yeah. Yeah. So we, so we were at least in most states, we were considered that kind of one C opportunity to get our vaccinations. And it was complicated. I mean, it's still complicated by each state. We're still kind of looking at when and how we can get people vaccinated. But we're actually this week getting our final plans together to do seven on-site vaccinations in what we call kind of mega sites, where we have, you know, a couple thousand employees and at least 500 to 1,000 of our employees that have expressed interest in getting a vaccination and want to do that. Nice. Yeah. So we've got a third party partner that we work with on that. They're coming on site over the next couple of weeks to offer those. And, you know, we just we want we, we believe in science. We believe in herd immunity. We're trying to get our own employees behind that. And we know it's it's a very personal decision, but we, we look at it as we're all in this together and we want to we want to encourage, educate and you know provide the opportunity. So one of the things we talk about a lot is initially a lot of big companies were playing the work from home hybrid, really, really waving that flag. And it seems like they're moving more toward, oh, we're getting back to the headquarters. It sounds like that's what's going to be happening at, at Charter. Or am I am I reading that wrong? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're as I've said, we've kind of never left. So we, we've been at some kind of hybrid where we're rarely more than 50%. I don't think there's, I don't know if there's even a building we've been at over 50% occupancy just to keep social distancing and everything. And so we've sort of never left the office. So our return to office plans are more, how do we increase that? And we're just kind of monitoring, looking at those CDC guidelines and seeing what is, what's going to make the most sense. But we're trying to, like, as an example, with my own talent team, we've been more on like an A, B, C, D schedule in our cubes. And with our office people, generally like myself, I've really been coming in for the most part almost every workday. Most of my direct reports with offices are kind of following a, a similar plan. Maybe other folks at like the director manager level are coming in every other week. And our cube people are coming in one week a month and working remote those other three. So, so for those of us who don't have a real job, A, B, C, D means different time, different time groups. windows. It, it, yeah, it's a week, like an A week, B week, C week, D week. So within a, within okay. a month, you be in one, one, one week out another. But there's, there's also, we, we're a company that has, a, depending on the leaders of that organization, there's, there's some 
you know, nuances to how that plan works. Like I'm describing more of the plan for my Charlotte based team in a place like St. Louis, where I've got some of my technical recruiters that sit with our IT organization. We try to mirror the IT orgs plan. So they might, they might be in two weeks and out two weeks. We try to have the recruiters come in the same kind of plan. So it, it there's also some caveats to it, but, and we're now looking at by, by the beginning of the summer timeframe, you know, probably mid to late June will be more at like a 50-50 kind of plan, probably make an A-B week or maybe an A-B day and just start getting people back into the flow. And then by the fall, fingers crossed, knock on wood, herd immunity, things are looking better, variants are under control, CDC guidelines have shifted a little bit. You know, we're, we're making plans to have more people in the office and you know, want to benefit from that collaboration and have people be able to work together. So what about autonomy? Because many employees feel like they've been more productive and, and even bottom lines and, and activity reports and productivity reports have demonstrated that they have been uh, more productive at home. Is there going to be some type of hybrid uh, autonomy kind of plan where you allow individuals, let's say next year, 2022, and I know that's 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 way off because there's still a lot of time, but are, are you talking about having discussions around providing more autonomy to individuals because that's a huge benefit. Yeah, we are. And what's fascinating about that is two years ago, the concept of a remote worker would have been like laughed at. Scary. Yeah, that would not have even come up. Now, what it means for charters, probably not the way maybe all of our employees would like it at first. I don't think it's going to be you are in a remote job and you never have to come in the office or you're in a 50-50 job. You know, yeah. we're, we'll have to look at a per job basis, but you know, overseeing the talent organization, you know, I've got executive recruiters that do across the company work. I've got um, corporate and technical recruiters that, that hire for those groups. I mean, those jobs can be done from home. And we'll, we'll, I'm hoping, and we don't know for sure, but by 2022, I'm hoping there's you know, hybrid that gives everybody the balance that they desire and also gives them a chance to interact with their clients, though, in the office, right? We have our folks based in St. Louis, where IT is, in Denver, where our software technology network ops groups are. Like here in Charlotte, we've got, you know, some hybrid of some of our technology groups and all of our staff areas. So, you know, we like our recruiters to be in with their clients. So it's, I think there'll always be some type of tether to the center. I doubt we're going to hire fully remote jobs and, you know, we can hire Chad in Indianapolis to work for us. I don't, I don't see that as happening in 2022. Maybe that's 2023 or 2024, but we, we we're trying to be flexible. I know for me overseeing, you know, a pretty big function at my company, I want to be as flexible as I can and try to listen and hear our employees. And we celebrated some great success last year and we did it remote working remote a lot. (laughs) So we have to recognize that we we were able to do it ourselves and we showed it can work and have to balance that with kind of the company culture and desire, you know, so. How are you planning uh, from a recruiting standpoint? So the work from home phenomenon, I think, is has created a bit of an expectation, particularly with with knowledge workers that I should be able to work from home. So you, you mentioned a little some pockets of technology workers and that they're going to get back to the office. Are you fearful that that's going to create a hindrance to your recruiting ability to get those folks who are sort of have have an expectation now of I can do my job from home, so I'm going to work for a company that lets me do that? Or are you rethinking your your branding strategy to make that a, a positive for workers? Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the quick answer is yes. I mean, I am personally concerned as the head of talent and the person in charge of our employment brand and the messages we put out there. And, you know, as you guys can tell from my passion, I mean, I really believe in my company 
believe in the organization, believe in the products and services that we offer. I mean, I, I think we're a great place to work, but I think we have to be smart about what candidate and employee expectations are, and we have to monitor that closely. And that's one of the reasons I'm a little more optimistic about the fact that at least we're considering some of those more flexible options, and we're just going to have to monitor it along the way. I, I I mean, this was already happening. You know, a couple of years ago, we we have a bunch of technology people in Denver. We were losing people to virtual opportunities that they were getting, right? And sure. there's, there's more and more of them. Um, obviously, this pandemic sped all that up. And I think as people are still uncomfortable with the thought of going back into an office, they're probably even the, the height of that nervousness as we're still figuring out vaccinations and what does this really mean and what are variants? I mean, we're at a, we're at a very dicey time right now um, and we have to be smart about it ourselves. I know um, myself and my recruitment technology folks, we're, we're monitoring our candidate flow and trying to you know, keep a sense of the pulse of our candidates and of course our employees as well. And we know there's some nervousness and we're, we still as a company believe culturally that we, we are better in the office, better together, and we'll keep down that path, but hopefully with some flexibility and not wanting it to impact our you know, ability to attract and retain people. So you mentioned employment brand. I also think this this bridges over to consumer brand as well. When you start to talk about minimum wages going from 15 to 18 to 20, I mean, that people understand that is the com- their community that you service, number one, and the people that actually work that are their neighbors, right? So this to me, when you're when you're making these types of decisions, do you work with marketing to be able to to talk about more of a holistic rollout? Because this doesn't just impact prospective candidates. This also impacts the opportunities uh, for acquiring customers as well. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and I'd say yes, we definitely work with those groups. Uh, I mean. Certainly, a group like sales and marketing, they they benefit from the wage increases as well, although a lot of the the sales roles are commissioned, so they don't really fall under the same, you know, $18 an hour thing since they've got the the commission potential to make much more than that. But they they benefit from it personally at at the highest leadership levels. They're certainly very well aware. Um, We have a, you know, really good relationship with our external communication group, with our own employment brand. So we try to tie that together. I mean, you know. I feel like I'm almost taking credit for our $18, $20 an hour thing. I mean, this was much more. Do it, Seth. Do it. It was mine. It was all mine. I was sitting in a room one day and said, you know what? We should be paying $18 an hour. Uh, yeah, I mean, my CHRO, Paul Marchand, has been really pushing that. Our head of compensation, you know, it goes all the way up to our CEO and our and our board. I mean, this is a big investment that the company has made, right? It doesn't, when you were paying 11 12 bucks an hour and went to 15 and 18 and 20 I mean, you're investing a lot more in your in your frontline employees and you had before and you know we're we're fortunate that we're in a good and growing business right i mean we we had a very productive good year in 2020 and now we're we're in the mobile business selling our spectrum mobile product so yeah it's it's all connected and you know one of the reasons you know in, in my intro there when uh when cheese was giving my intro it's like seth it's spectrum slash charter you know we we are the the corporation is charter but the brand is Spectrum, and we made a specific employment branding decision to align with our friends in marketing around that because when we were post-merger, you know, taking the Time Warner Cable name and the Bright House name and, quite frankly, even the Charter name, we, we switched that all to Spectrum, and we wanted to ride that wave with our employment brand. Mm-hmm. So that, that whole, like, Spectrum, Spectrum careers, it's really helped us kind of grow that brand, and then 
what the community work that we do, and we are we're a local business, right? And we we take full advantage of that. It it you, you know some of your points earlier is it a disadvantage that we're that we're not offering remote roles possibly, but is it an advantage that we are in these forty one states in all these local markets providing you know good paying jobs and career opportunities for people? You know absolutely, and that's what we have to you know focus on and make that the the area of emphasis at those especially at those local levels that that really help drive those local economies. Yep. One of the one of the counterpoints to uh, the the argument that government should raise the minimum wage and what that should be and government should be be more involved is that the the invisible hand of the market uh, is much more powerful than any sort of government regulation. Bullshit. So I'm curious how much of this decision um, by you guys to raise raise the minimum wage or your wage to $18 and then 20 was driven in part by Amazon, Target, Walmart, etc., raising their own minimum wage to work at those companies at roughly $15 an hour. How much was this market forces? How much was it, oh, we're just doing really great as a business and we're going to raise minimum wage? I mean, we we really wanted to invest in our employees at those frontline levels. I mean, I think we knew that these were not competitive and in some cases even, even living wages. And, you know, when we went to the $15 an hour, I mean, it was a good start, obviously. Now we're at 18 going to 20. But we did some we did some employee focus groups and we, we asked some employees, would you be willing to put your story on video? And I still remember like this emotional video of one of our technicians talking about with this with this pay increase, his wife can now take nursing school classes, get her nursing certificate and become a nurse and really help you know, change the trajectory of, of their family. And it's like, God, it just almost brings a tear to your eye kind of emotion stuff like, wow, that's that's this great impact kind of stuff. So we very much monitor the market. We try to be market competitive and we knew at you know, 11, $12 an hour for a call center rep job, you're not as competitive. When you get up to 15, you're starting to get competitive. At 18, you might be at the higher end of the market in some of the you know, smaller markets out there. So you know, it's very much with you know trying to invest in our employees to make sure they can be a part of active part of their communities and have success and grow their careers. And then I think there is a government angle in this. I mean, we have a government affairs group that that works with our partners in D.C. and throughout all of our 41 states. We've got you know people in our in our local and state government affairs groups that work closely with our constituents there. And these are big topics for them too. I mean, they. They love seeing the investment that we're making. So it's, you know, I don't think that was ever the, the reason that we did it, but but it's certainly a nice benefit of it. And it, it highlights that, you know, community and even government partnership in some ways of, of what we're doing out there. Don't be ashamed of capitalism, Seth. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just capitalism yeah. that needs more guardrails. That's Seth Fight, Seth everybody. Fight, everybody. Group VP of Talent at Spectrum slash Charter Communications. Seth, uh, first and foremost, we've got to have you or at least some members of your staff back to talk about some, some other topics because we only got a few in. DEI, training, pipelining, we know that you guys do a lot of that. But uh, in the meantime, if somebody wants to connect with you or find out more about jobs at Spectrum, where would you send them? Uh, jobs.spectrum.com is our is our main site to go to. Definitely check it out. We're excited. We just invested in a new website, went live earlier uh, end of January this year. Sexy. So very excited about that. So check it out. And, uh, you know, I'm a very out there LinkedIn guy. So if anyone um, wants to connect with me, personally on LinkedIn, certainly look me up, fight not feet, F-E-I-T. And uh, look, guys, it's been a pleasure being on here with you. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller, but um, it's been been great talking with you guys. 
Love it, man. Nice. We appreciate it, and we want to have you back. But until then, Joel, another one in the books, my friend. We out. Thank you for listening to Podcast with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.